Welcome to the Wayward Woman podcast, where each week we meet to discuss the tough topics surrounding domestic violence and domestic abuse. We want to provide education as well as our own stories of survival, guests coming on with their stories of survival, and how we are now thriving and healing together. We are so excited to give you hope that you can know you too can survive, you can thrive, you are not crazy, and you are not alone. Hey everyone, it's Lara and Michelle with the Wayward Woman Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. I hope you're all doing well and you're safe out there. And if you celebrate the holidays, hope it went well. If you don't, I still hope your life is well. That sounded weird, but I really mean it, listeners. Um, today we have a guest who I adore. We run a really amazing show together. Um, she's going to tell her story today and I'm really excited to hear it. And she's a talented comedian. She does it all. She does uh, impersonations, right? Right? Don't you do impersonations? No. I do characters and, and characters, voices. Yeah, oh, I don't, don't want to hear it very well. Yeah, like she has all these different characters. She did oh, one cool. other show called uh, Pastor Dick. That's my latest one. Yeah, Pastor Dick. Do you guys have these on Instagram or YouTube? Because I would really love to see Pastor Dick. Sure. I'll, I'll send you a link. <laughs> Thank you. But he's brand new, so he's not. Yeah, I'm still figuring him <laughs> out. But my other two characters are pretty. Oh, she had everyone laughing. Pretty good. good. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I wish I was close by to come and watch. Yeah, that'd be nice. Thanks a lot for moving. I know. Well, thank you for fuck? the intro. That was beautiful. <laughs> We're going to bring her on now. I got a little, you know, a little fan glow going here. So I'm going to introduce Miss Priscilla Fernandez. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here today. Welcome. Hi, ladies. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you. I love what you guys do. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So we usually ask people, well, first of all, is there anything that you want us to know about you or anything else you want to say as far as introduction? Hmm. Sure. I mean, I can give you a quick bio. Yeah, if that helps. Know, I don't know. I mean, it'll, it'll probably help with my to help you understand my story a little bit yeah. better. But um, I was born and raised a preacher's daughter, but not just my dad being a preacher, but my mom too, and a lot of like just extreme religiosity, like really conservative, and I wasn't allowed to do anything. So of course, you know, I rebelled. But um, and comedy was really the only thing that kept me alive, to be honest with you. Comedy and food. Wow. <laughs> Those are my two uh, saviors, if you will. Um, and uh, and so I had really, really, really bad. I mean, I had really bad mommy issues and daddy issues. But in this story, you'll see my daddy issues come alive. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you I don't know what else to that. say. Yeah, no, I think it's good because things manifest in our adulthood that come up in our adulthood around trauma that we had in the past. So I appreciate you sharing that because that's kind of linking us up. And so I know what you've told me is you married your professor. So what I'm curious about is how did you meet and like how how was how did he treat you in the beginning? Um, how did you slowly <clears throat> notice it was getting abusive not you know until like how you were able to leave sure if you're comfortable um i was 20 um i had just gotten back from a year in spain going to school i got a scholarship for one year and it was absolutely amazing and i came back and i lived with my parents and uh oh can i say the city or no Uh, i don't care i don't think he cares okay in Walla Walla, Washington. Um, my parents lived there. They were preaching there. And when I got back from Spain, I needed a place to stay. So I stayed with them for a little bit. And then uh, then I got my own place. And uh, I said, you know what? I want to go to college. Uh, and I, I really want to major in something that's opposite of preaching and religion. So I went towards business. <laughs> I wanted to be a businesswoman. I never wanted to be poor again. I never wanted to struggle again. I was just like, that was my goal. So I started going to community college there, Walla Walla Community College. And um, I was t- taking all these classes and two of them were taught by Dan, my ex. 
And um, he was very flirtatious with me during class. Like he would come over and stand like, you know, his, what can I say? Can I say curse words on here? Oh yeah. We swear all the time. Oh, okay. (laughs) His dick was here all the time. (laughs) So so he just like stand behind me as I was on on my computer trying to learn how to do stuff. And um, he's just, just very flirtatious and, and you know, my daddy issues, I was like hooked immediately. And, you um, you know, daddy daddy issues though. I'm curious what that means to you. I was, for me, it's like, I wanted to connect with my dad so badly, like emotionally. And all my parents were really emotionally incestuous with me. Mm -hmm. Um, they treated me like I was their spouse. Um, and so they would talk about just really inappropriate things with me. And so there's probably some mixed up, you know, sexual stuff there um, that I wish hadn't happened. But so when I saw him, I probably saw um, a man in authority, like my dad preaching. He's a teacher. My dad's a preacher. Both their names are Dan. (laughs) Um, And I just was like, it's dead, you know, or, or something. I'm not well. There's something. There's like an imprint. What you're saying is really accurate because we get an imprint. We get like under the age of 10, our nervous system and our, our body like makes neural pathways and like love templates and like, Oh, you know, so our, our, we're always looking to find that again. So if that was like, you know, something you did with your dad, like I'm looking for my dad's approval or I'm looking for like, my dad to love me or my dad overshares with me or whatever it might be. Then there's this older person in your love template. Your programming literally was like, bingo, that one, that feels familiar. Yes. 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 And my parents are older than me, like way older than me. Well, they had me when they were like 42 um, and they just acted older all the time. They were just, they were just so crotchety. So I think I liked the old, much older man because I felt safer or something. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right about all that imprinting for sure. Do you, do you think too, just I, what I was thinking about is my issues with my dad is fact that I'm always hoping it's going to be something that it's not. Like I'm like, yes. okay, maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this Every time. day. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was hearing in your share. And then it's like. I still have that feeling. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have it with my mom, and I just want to clear it for yeah, listeners both too. Of them. It's we can, uncomfortable, yeah. but it's comfortable because it's. Yeah, we lovely. can, but it goes back to like just to anyone who's listening. It goes back to we're not like blaming our parents, but it goes back to like our I programming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do too, but to say you don't have to, but it's like, but it is. It's like whether it's because for me it's my mom it was like always finding approval from my mom or like oh if my mom's yelling at me and I sit and listen to her then you know 20 years later my husband's yelling at me and I'm listening don't they see that's how I'm saying I love you I'm obey whatever it might be until we change the programming there's a parent wound from either parent well also our mutual ex is a lot like my dad Mm -hmm. yeah and he's a lot like my my mom I swear my dad is a narcissist. So it's like as much as I don't, I, I, I struggle with the term daddy issues because that's like legit trauma, right? And so when they're like, oh, you just have daddy issues. Like, no, I have trauma from someone who mm-hmm. was supposed to love me appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. You know how, you know why that's I so use it, to be honest yourself. with you? Why? I, I do it because if I said anything more serious, I feel like I'll scare them away. So I say, dad, I feel like daddy issues is like palatable for a lot of people, especially the ones that never had issues with their dad or don't have many. So I use that. I use it on stage. I use it in life. Um, But unless I'm talking to someone like you, Mo, like I know I can go deep with you. Mm -hmm. I know that it's super easy to talk trauma with you and survival, you know, with you. But um, it's not like that with most people. So I just... Yeah, I, I agree. It is minim it is minimization, but well I miss it too. But that that's you know, just something I was thinking about. Whatever you use is appropriate for what you need to do. But I I think You're right though, because it's abuse. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yep. Oftentimes when we start to heal from an abusive partner, we start to realize like 
whether it was that abusive partner or a different abusive partner, it, it stems from our childhood trauma, you know, of what we learned was normal, what our brain is looking for, how we were treated. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's super fascinating. But I want to hear the rest of your story. So you ha- so you're in class. This guy's your professor. He's like rubbing he against you. He's your shoulder. very flirty. So, yeah, I was 20. He was 50 or 48 at the time. Um, and he knew how old I was. But because I'd been around, you know, uh, people, older people all the time, I seemed more mature, older or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, um, or at least I could pretend to be. And, um, and so I would talk to him and I loved the attention that I got from him. Oh, I just ate it up. And then, um, I would go up to his office and ask him questions, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, Oh, how do I do this math problem? You know? And, um, I just wanted to be around him all the time. Just, I like the feeling I got Mm. and I like the, the male attention that I got. Um, and then eventually I think either, I think he asked me to come over to his house. That's how it started. And I was like, for what? And he's like, oh, you know, I'd like to make you dinner or something like that. I was like, okay. So I was like really excited, nervous, you know, diarrhea cramps, but also like super sexually excited. (laughs) (sighs) It's true. And then uh, I, I went there and we had sex. Yeah, and it was so. (laughs) And I was hooked. So where did it go? That's really interesting. So like, at that point, did you guys just continue? Did you get pretty serious pretty fast, or like? Wait, mm -hmm. I wanted to say something really quick because I think about how you had sex right away, right? And I feel like that is a real way to, to keep someone in a relationship to do that, you know, like just to bond in that way so quickly, like there's so many layers to that. Yeah. But I think we, we never talk about this now that I think about it, how sometimes some of the reasons that we stay are love or sex Mm -hmm. because that sex is powerful. It's a very powerful connection and it can be, misused and I identify so much with what you're saying I've not thought of it in that way Priscilla where I was you were like I ate up the attention and I remember feeling that way too I'm like oh this is I'm pretty this it's pretty. a drug attention it is, it and is. it's like never enough either. you, you can't have it. enough oh I used to feel that I used to feel that too it's because it's like and that's why they love mom and that it works and there's mm-hmm. you know for those of us that need that affirmation in ourselves yeah i it is they actually say it has the similar effect on our brain as a drug addiction does with the same chemicals that are released because i remember with me and michelle's ex it was the same it was just never and it was like give me more i want more it was Mm -hmm. but i think also predators target people in that space Mm -hmm. definitely a predator yeah Mm -hmm. when when you're in that space they're like you know how they first meet you they're reading you Mm-hmm. they're trying to see what they can and cannot get away with interesting point yeah. too about sex so soon you know like michelle's always telling me and always saying on the podcast lean back go slow lean. like it's it's like after all these years it's finally you know clicked with me to like oh there's a million reasons to slow down you know but it's it's so what so what happened so you guys had sex it was really good you were hooked and then did the relationship get like pretty serious pretty fast very fast yeah um we started spending more time together uh and it just all kind of revolved around food um Mm -hmm. we would go out to dinner a lot you know he'd pay for dinner um and you know we had a lot of sex Mm -hmm. and it was so it was so fun and good um and then I met his kids (laughs) He had three daughters that were around my age. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and we were still, you know, living separate. He had a house and I was living in an apartment. And uh, then one day he was like, I want you to meet you. I want you to meet my daughters. And he has three daughters. And uh, I came over for dinner and they're like, they look at me, they're like, 
what the fuck, dad, <laughs> you know? Wow. And I felt it and I was so embarrassed uh, and, and disgusted with myself. Huh. I didn't blame him at all. It was all my fault. Right. Like I was gross. Who do I think I am? Like, I don't, Interesting. I don't, I don't, I, no, these kids don't deserve this. Like they don't, I had that feeling, but I also kind of started feeling controlled by him mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, that might've just been me or I don't, or maybe he was more manipulative than I thought, but, um, and it was just super, super awkward. And so I told him that and he was like, and he just started buying me gifts. And then he proposed to me after like eight months. Wow. Wow. And, um, it was a beautiful ring. And that's, a, and that's a and that's a that's a tactic. I mean, just moving fast. I, I, I don't want to interrupt you too mm-hmm. much because I want you to have the opportunity to keep talking. But it just, yeah, I mean, that is moving quickly is a red flag for listeners. Just mm-hmm. for sure, for sure, for sure. But we don't see it because it feels so good. They mm-hmm. put us on a, like a pedestal, and we're oh, like, and I felt like I was in control. Yeah. I was like, oh, this oh, this is my life. I'm, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like wow, this guy like will do anything for me, and this is amazing. It's that slippery slope of, you know. So when you guys yeah. got married, when did when did when did you start to really notice like I'm in trouble or something's off? It was also, before we got married. Oh, quick, interesting. I wanted to say sorry when, when you said who do I think I am, and and like I felt gross, and I I just found that really interesting that you said that because he should feel that way, not you. I think we were both embarrassed to be honest like he was like it was okay this is what it was like it was like oh it's disgusting and he knew it was like wrong like it was wrong I guess but we also couldn't control the fire like we couldn't like we knew it was wrong but we couldn't stop oh that's interesting so it almost became like a um like what what is that saying like oh Munchausen or something it's like there's a saying it's like the forbidden fruit like it was like the it was like dangerous it was like sexy and hot and forbidden and which made it probably even more exciting so I I started to like try to dress older and look older oh interesting yeah I mean it really messed with me and Mm. and meanwhile I'm like why isn't anyone stopping me why aren't my parents like why isn't anyone saying hey oh maybe you shouldn't do that you know but nothing um, but, but he, he proposed me after eight months, we got, we went to Las Vegas and eloped, um, two months after that or so. And, but before that he was already, so he introduced me to his mom and he goes, I hate my mom. Like we hate each other. And when I was around her, it was, I felt nauseous cause she was so cold and crotchety and mean and nasty didn't say anything nice didn't say nice to meet you didn't hmm. and he would talk shit about her all the time like now I know of course that's a the red flag right but um or one of them um but back then I was like oh, I'll be your mommy <laughs> I'll fix you I'll give you enough love for you you know hmm. to make up for your mom's love uh and it, they had a nasty relationship yeah we didn't so yeah either back then no <laughs> no idea yeah and it's like um, even if you did, it's still not okay for them but um, you got you went in a moment there you kind of went yeah we did you go we, we we started um fighting a lot arguing a lot um and i'll tell you why this is when my anger woke up from all the years of being a preacher's daughter and having to suppress it, be happy all the time. My church greeter face. Hi, yeah, <laughs> everything's fine. You know, the codependent me. Expectation? Like, what, what was there consequences for not smiling and being that way? Oh yeah, it was mixed in with religion. Mm-hmm. So it was like, God doesn't want you to do that. Jesus wants you to be, you know, Jesus is the light. You're, you're a reflection of Jesus. Like, and if you're not happy all the time, then what does that say about us as preachers? We could lose our jobs if we don't, look happy and it, it was very fucked up what a very, pressure very, very up. oh yeah 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 that re- that part really fucked me up like bad and and so all my anger came like just showed up one day when we were fighting 
And I, I was just like, fuck you, you know, but then he had to one up me every time we fought. So he'd start calling me a bitch. Mm. Um, he starts slamming doors. Like you're mad, but he's more mad. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, everything was my fault. And <laughs> we've lived that. <laughs> if you're mad, know, I'm right? going to show you how much more mad I could get. Yeah. Crazy. And it got, you guys, it got so bad. So I moved in finally, you know, after we got married and moved in and my, I could hear my parents, see my parents' disappointment. I could see them talking shit about me and like rolling their eyes and going, Oh my God, this is so embarrassing for us. And his daughters, I wanted to be, I wanted them to like me so much and feel comfortable with me so much that I just would overdo it with them. I bought them Mm. gifts. I made dinner for them. I did whatever they wanted because he was kind of an absentee father so just things just started to like unravel and Mm. I started to see the real him and of course we always think we can fix them and stuff um but then I go well maybe I deserve it maybe maybe I am a piece of shit you know and so the one day I realized there was something really really wrong was we had gotten into this fight and of course all of our fights were over nothing like Mm -hmm. stupid shit never anything important or deep um the way he had a house that was like white carpet white everything super like in its place ocd kind of a thing um these kids (laughs) begged him not to have a white carpet or like uh, they all called it dad's museum It was a small house. It was a small house, but he was like obsessed with like lighthouses mm. and white carpet and white everything. Mm. <laughs> so cheesy, um, like the phallus everywhere, dicks everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think. Oh, I I remember what it was. Okay, um, I was taking care of my sister. She had just got into an accident. She stayed with us for a week, and she stayed in the basement. And he was livid. Now she like had broken her neck and had nowhere else to go. So she stayed with us and we got into a huge fight over that. And then I was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, let my sister die. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like he wouldn't go to the hospital. He didn't give a fight. Like he just started showing his nastiness and just like lack of a heart. And then one day my sister came up to, to the kitchen was on the first floor and she lived in the basement. And she came up and she was going to make spaghetti for us. And she took the giant bottle, uh, the glass bottle of Prego. And she dropped it and broke it on his white carpet. And instead of him yelling, I lost my shit. I broke down. And I was like, Julie's going to fucking kill me. Oh, my God. Like, I fucking hate you. How dare you? You're such a fucking idiot. Look, you know, I just let her have it. All like, the, That's crazy. It's like whoa. all the stress that you didn't even realize was pent up from trying to keep everything. I was scared seen. of him. Crazy. Um, I mean, not bad so crazy. You're night, not crazy. Just no, they're no, no, crazy. No, no, I get yeah. it. No, it is crazy. It's totally crazy. I, so this is when I knew, and this, well, obviously Julie was like, you should not be with somebody like that, Mm -hmm. but we weren't close. We hated each other. So, Mm -hmm. um, that night I was like wringing my hands. I was like walking around and he just was like, leave me alone. He would go sit in the backyard in the dark and smoke an entire pack of cigarettes and say, you did this to me. You're making me do this. And he would just sit out there in the dark. You couldn't see anything except for the, the, the butt, the lit mm-hmm. cigarette. That's all you could see. And I would just watch him and he would just sit out there. And I was like, oh God, like everything just kind of, oh my God, what have I done? Like, what was going on? Like, he's mentally ill. That's what I said to myself. Um, and then. How interesting that you recognized. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say really quick. It's really interesting that you recognized that that was mentally ill. Like that wasn't a normal response. 
Because I know like me and Michelle's mutual ex would do stuff like that. Wouldn't talk to you for sometimes days, a week. Mm -hmm. And you would just... just lay in the room on the bed and smoke cigarettes. And if I tried talking to him, I tried to make it better. Mm -hmm. I was like, please just talk to me. Please just go away. Yeah, he would go get me. We were married to the same person. Yeah, oh. totally. What is, it, what is it with cigarettes? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, it was exactly because yeah, if you if you did some perceived, you know, known or unknown thing that was awful, and they decide they're gonna give, it's called stonewalling, and and it's abusive tactic. And he I was pushing, he was punishing, punishing me. you, and trying to purposefully make you feel on edge and scared. And so you were like so. Oh, yeah. So therefore, he's still in power. But I know our, me and Michelle's mm-hmm. abusive ex used to do that. And same, like Michelle said, you would be like, by day three or four, you're like, what? Like, please, what did I do? Or I'm so sorry. And it would be like, leave me the fuck alone. And you're like, give me, you know, and you're just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It really also, fucks the, with your head. The fear that came up for you when your sister dropped it too, really, you know, because yeah. you were like, and I was thinking I about that out. reaction of like, because I remember it's 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 the same. It's very similar. Like, if I did something bad, there even even if it wasn't physical, I was gonna pay for it. So oh yeah, and he was gonna be my sister would have been my fault because he didn't want her there and I let yes. her stay there. See, totally, totally. Your sister over, and everything's fucked up. Well, and I think two things too, because I've noticed since Michelle and I started doing this work together, a lot of people go get confused, and they go, "Oh, but like there was no physical violence." And and what people, what I like, like not love about the story, but what I appreciate about your story is the element of like the mental um, pressure that you probably. I'm curious if you even like realized you were under that amount of mental pressure of like trying to keep everything pristine and like keep everything well, calm here's, here's the kicker my mom punishes me well both my parents but my mom was the severest she would punish me by not talking to me for days yeah and ignore me walk right past me like I was and and I, he was doing that to me and I was like oh I know this this is familiar right so once again just like it, in the beginning your love template was like your brain was like ah okay this is what love is this and, is what family is. yes yes so what happened like eventually when he came around um I'm curious of like was that a pattern that continued or did, did you yes. was that the the aha moment for you of like something's wrong I got to get out of here It wasn't the aha moment yet it was just like the oh I'm scared I'm more scared of him now because you mm-hmm. he's unpredictable Mhm Um but the good point there, there were two incidences. What's that? The unpredictability piece you just said. Mm-hmm. Walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's true. It is, it is awful. That's why I like boring men now. <laughs> boring men are healthy. Apparently. Autistic men are the best. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not even joking. Um, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so there were two there were two physical uh, abuse instances that uh, woke me up. Well, the second one woke me up, and I was like, I, I'm not. I've got to go. Mm-hmm. I've literally got to escape this man. Um, the first one was when we were fighting, and I was um, trying to put my clothes away, and I was hanging stuff, and I had like my hands full of clothes ready to like hang, and I was holding them, and he was like, "Why are you such a bit?" And he pushed me against the wall. And I just remember hitting it and like hangers flying everywhere. And I was like, I, and I got angry at him. I was like, no one's going to fucking treat me like that. How dare you? You know? And he was like, oh, oh, so, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You know, I didn't push you that hard anyway. Like it's, mm-hmm. you're fine. Minimizing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But my voice, like there was my voice. I was like, okay, I have a voice. That's good. Like, oh my God, I- I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but the last straw, the last straw was I was in the bathroom and we were arguing and I had my hand on the, the jam, you know, the, uh, the entry of the, you know, where the jam, what is it called? The, the doorway, you know, where, where like the door, the door jam meets thing. the wall, the thing, yeah, door jam thing. <laughs> and I was like holding on, I'm like, hey, you know, we're fighting. And then he slammed the door on my pinky. Oh my god! And it started bleeding and everything, and I froze. I was like, "Oh my god!" 
Ooh, I can still tap into the emotion. Just got, I just got teary eyed. Yeah. Um, but he slammed it and I just stared at it. I was like, Um, and he's like, oh shit, I'm, I did not mean to do that. I'm so sorry. I'm like, you did mean to do that. You really meant to do that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, I mean, I wasn't going to do it that hard. And, and then, so I remember that night, you guys, I, I was done. I was like, I never want to talk to you again. Yeah. And luckily inside of me just knew, no, it's, it's over. That night I slept in the basement and I snuck to the phone and I called my mom and she was in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And I was in Walla Walla, Washington. And I called her and go, mom, mom, it's me. She's like, Oh, what's, what's going on? I said, mom, um, do you, I think I should leave Dan. And she's like, okay, why? What's going on? And I said, he just slammed my finger in the door and he's like, he calls me a cunt and a bitch and oh like all God. these words. And uh, she goes, she goes, get out of there now. That makes me. I'm the only good thing my mom ever did for me was, was like literally that. So, you know? so can we back up for two seconds? And if you're comfortable, cause I know, you know, even as you said, it's like 20 years later, or however many years later, we can still, we still carry that trauma so it, oh yeah, I I've stopped myself from crying like sixteen times. Yeah, so I'm I I really appreciate you sharing, and and I just want to touch on because you said, you know, he called you like a cunt and a bitch, and like was that something that was like normal or like you know, like the name calling or the well, it was all new to me. Like I, you know, my parents were perfect saints. Like they didn't drink, they didn't smoke, they didn't do drugs, they didn't eat meat, they didn't wear jewelry, they didn't wear makeup, they oh, didn't curse in public, you know, like they'd be like, you know. But so this was like a whole new person for me in my life, a type of person. And and so I was like, oh well if he can call me those things and I can call him things and I can get all my anger out and I won't care. He doesn't care. I don't care. We'll just both be assholes to each other. Uh, you know? So I was like, oh you're gonna call me a cunt? I'm gonna call you a piece of shit. Oh, I'm gonna say you're just like your mother. Like I how can I hurt you? Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um it was just like the only kind of survival I had was my mouth. Yeah. I think Did you escalate. Because usually yeah. when we start finding our voice and fighting back, did he get worse? He actually, like, was almost disgusted with me a little bit. Like, he would look at me like, mm, you're not that sexy anymore. You're not that attractive anymore because you have a voice. And then I was like, oh, my God, a man doesn't think I'm sexy. He doesn't think I'm, what? That's when I started going, oh, my God, I, mm. what's my value then? What's my worth? I'm not sexy yeah. mm-hmm. if I'm not well behaved if I so I was very confused like my upbringing said I had to be perfect all the time and then this man's not being hurt like he's not meeting me where I'm at and so all the bets are off all the rules are gone and I said words that I'd never said in my life before to him mm. and and so it was all very new for me you know he was he was 50 at this point and yeah. I was 21 like it was just was volatile was this your Very. first serious relationship or the first time you had been away from home? I mean, no, no, no. I, um, I moved out when I was 18. Yeah, you were out of there for sure. But it was the, re- it was the first, like, yeah, it was the first real one. Now that I think back. I mean, I'd had other, you know, flings and stuff, but, but yeah. How it- that's such an interesting point too, because I think, you know, people can get stuck, you know, we can get stuck in the cycle of like you said, like we don't, you know, not knowing going like, Oh, maybe this is normal. Like I, I find like from my marriage to the person me and Michelle were both with, like he was like your ex-husband and he would be very volatile and use very volatile language with me. And, you know, he would call me, everything from a Jew to Donald Trump to like, you know, use my like, Trump. yeah, I call me a Jew. And like, yeah, he, like, he would be so wow. mean and like, cruel and like, or he'd just be like, you know, be like, you know, you're just such a dumbass, you know, Miss Dumas, he'd call me Miss Dumas for dumbass, you know, and just like make fun of me. And like, and so same thing, I would sometimes like, 
be like, fuck you, dude, you know? And like, yeah. But then it's like they kind of use that against you. And I feel like it kind of opened up this like shitty, mean part of my brain that I had never accessed yes. before. And then yes, I would that's be, exactly what I, that's exactly yeah, what I Yeah, because I, and even my kids now, like, sometimes I'll say something, like, really mean to, like, the dog or something, and my kids are like, Mom, that's such a thing you picked up from you-know-who. Like, you have, and I'm like, you never had that. You never did that before him. And it was almost like this, like, yeah, it was like something that I, you, you have to do it to kind of defend yourself a little bit, and it, and you kind of, like, stoop man. to their level, and it's such a shitty feeling. It's like, Ooh, yuck. I don't like being like that. And I don't ever want to be with somebody ever again that I have to like be that shitty person, you know, like, yeah. So I, I'm really resonating with what you're saying here. I, did, I didn't even realize that was like part of it. <laughs> well, and I just had a realization as you were talking, I realized that my mom was so mean and cutting with her words, yes. but in like such a calm manner. And it would cut me to the core and then the ignoring and then the spanking. And the, it, yes. so I felt like I was becoming Pauline, you know, I was becoming her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew exactly, now I know exactly where it came from, actually. Yeah, it's so interesting. Cause, and then you said something that made me go, oh my God, I used to think that too. Or I would think like my words and like had to become my weapon. It was the only way I could fight back. Absolutely fucking weird it's wild someone would like if a guy would have sex with me i was like oh i'm pretty and then i realized this is the wrong kind of attention Mm -hmm. i thought it was the right and it took me a while to figure out this is the wrong Mm -hmm. and you know i I was thinking about it priscilla and wondering because i see this happen a lot with people who are abusive is you know they get us in this space where we feel somewhat safe with them and we might tell them about our childhood trauma or be vulnerable with them and then they turn around and use that Mm -hmm. against us if you're reacting this way because your dad was that way or you're this way because and like using that trauma or Mm -hmm. mental health or whatever it is and twisting it around on us it's so it's it's sickening honestly yeah what was that last part Feeding off of trauma to maintain control, that's just... Oh, yeah, survival, yeah, for sure. How long were you, did you end up being married to this person for? One, one exactly to the month, one year. Wow. Uh, To the day. Wow. It's kind of creepy when I think about it. So when you, Um, when your mom was like, get out, what did you do? Did you, you, you left? I did. That's all I needed. It was all I needed. I packed up my little tiny car and my cat. And um, I had a, a cat tranquilizer from another incident that we had with the cat. And so I, I asked my friend, like, is this okay? Like, can I just, she's like, yes. I gave my cat her tranquilizer and I packed up my car. And as I was backing up, he threw a check at me. <laughs> he threw a, a $300 check at me. He goes here so you can get home safe. Like it was, it was nuts. But, but the, the thing that I think the thing that gave me the courage to call my mom or to reach out for help was, um, that I, I knew that I could take care of myself because I had to take care of my parents. And there was this weird independent thing that just showed up and was like, Hey, you can take care. You don't need this guy. Mm -hmm. You can take care of yourself. You're, you're in charge of everything in your home. Like, you, you don't need this. You don't, you know? And I was like, Oh yeah, I am an independent woman. Like I had this whole conversation with myself. Like I'm, I'm a strong ass fucking woman. Yeah. Like I, you know, I just trying to do anything to feel empowered. It's like, Oh, I had to have a talk with myself. It was really, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's like self-regulation is what it reminds me of. Yeah. I'm like, good for you that you did that though. That's amazing. Well, I mean, my mom we were so poor that we had to sell the swap meet and I you know we sold for four years and I would be there alone selling the San Diego swap meet you know 300 vendors and I'm a little kid I'm like 10 years old and I'm selling and I'm making money I got a big wad of cash never sold ever because I knew we needed the money and I was like if I can do that then I can make it on the street like I was thinking like if I end up on the streets and I can hustle I can sell things and like 
it's funny what you think of when you're when you're so young and yeah I love that you had that confidence you know I think I know for myself, I didn't have that confidence when I left. When I left, I just knew I was going to probably kill myself or that was the only option. Like I, or check myself into a mental health facility because I was so, at this point, just, it was awful. And so it took me a really long time. And I just want to share this just so listeners know, no, no two journeys out look the same. And whether you're at the point where you're like, I can't go on, or you're at the point where you're like, I fucking got this. Both belong, all belong, and all will lead you to a better place, you know? But, like, both roads, any road getting out of a situation like this, you know, might take a different path. The paths might look different, but holy shit, is it worth it? So I'd I'd love to hear if you don't mind sharing when you did leave, you know, did he try to get you back at all or did you no, just block him and you wait? Yeah. In fact, a, a week, I think it was like a week before I left, I found out he was sleeping with another student. Oh my God. And they got married this and fucking dude. I saw pictures and everything. And she had t- little tiny kids and you know, it's good though that he stopped because usually even if they don't want us, want us in that intimacy way and really what it is is it's they see that we're finding our voice and it freaks them out yeah they don't want somebody with a voice you're not valuable anymore you're not controllable maintain control somehow Mm -hmm. you know even when they're removed from a situation so i'm glad that yeah left it alone yeah so how did you we love um when people are share share like what did the path of overcoming look like for you? And like, because I look at you now and I just want to share with listeners. I see this beautiful woman who's in this really cool artsy room with a cool picture. <laughs> and a, I was like looking at your lamp. Like, I really want that lamp. <laughs> that lamp's a, oh, I mean, obviously home like. Home goods. <laughs> it was like 10 bucks at home goods. Oh my God. No way. I love it. But it's yeah. like, you, you know, I know you do comedy with Michelle and it's like. What? Oh, I'm what did you say, Michelle? If, if, if Home Goods is listening. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sponsors. <laughs> but it's like it's yeah. like I see um I see somebody now who's vibrant and thriving. So that's so important to share too, because it's like these relationships are not the end of our life. They're oftentimes how we are, you know, the catalyst I'll, for us. I'll be honest, it, it, this relationship was a mirror. All my relationships are. Yeah. But it, it was just like a indicator of what's to come. Yeah. And the anger that I was about to, you know, uh, unleash on myself, on the world. Like I, the anger inside of me. Ugh. Oh, I've worked on it so much, dude. And I've finally come to a point. Like I've done every type of therapy you can imagine. And I just finished EMDR and that was the best one so far. Um, but I finally, this year I came to a, a place of acceptance where it's like, I might die angry. I'm okay with that. Cause I earned it. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing of like, I can't control it. This is just what it is. I can work with it. I can try to do these things every once in a while, but the actual chemical response or the mem- the recall, I can't help that. I have no control over that, but I can work with it mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, uh, I still struggle all the time. I struggle so much with it. Well, well but, do you, is it something like, is it on the daily as far as the anger piece? How does that manifest? It's triggered. It's triggered by, um, it's usually, well, it's triggered by people. (laughs) I am not good at relationships, especially with women. Um, With men, it's super easy for me, but with women, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it usually comes out with women. And um, hmm? I used to be, I was not nice to women when I was younger at all. Yeah, not saying that you're like that, but I struggled with women is the point. Um, yeah. yeah. In so fact, I, I struggle so much, I don't like being a woman. Like mm-hmm. I have, gen- my therapist called, said I have gender dysphoria. And um, I absolutely hate being a woman. I absolutely hate it. That's so interesting though. I, I'm curious because I feel like a lot of us, myself <laughs> included, I felt for years I was I was always the girl that was like, 
the cool girl that was only friends with dudes because fuck girls like fuck women they're just such they're bitchy or they're you know like wussy or like whatever and like took me a long time to because I think like society says we are we are not to be sisters we are competition for men's attention and so many of us have these you know traumatic childhood issues or these mother wounds and so women become our enemy and we are our own enemies and it takes a lot it's ta- for me it's taken me 40 40 plus years to go oh my gosh i can i can finally be friends with women and be and now i have a ton of girlfriends but it's taken me literally 40 plus years <laughs> and when i meet women like like that or women who are just miserable in the back of my mind yes i still get angry but in the back of my mind, I'm like, of course they're like that. Like, that's what we were all taught yes, to be. That's exactly. Like, the ancestral damage yes. that happens. Like, of course we're all bitches. <laughs> like, of course we're missing, not all of us, but, you know, of, of course. Like, that's what we were taught to be. We were taught to be competitive. We were taught to be uh, physically attractive. We were taught to just be submissive. Yeah. And, and so we're starting now to get out of it. In fact, I started Lady Haha with Mo mm-hmm. because partly because I wanted women to kind of, including me, like I wanted women to see that there's another way of doing comedy. There's another way of having a community where it's not competitive at all. I love support. that you all are doing that. And it's like, what a healing piece for you, Priscilla, that you're like, it is. this is a pain point for me. And Let me I, tell you, <laughs> it's pushing every button. <laughs> but like, how amazing that you're doing it. Because how I would say 99% of people in the world go, this feels uncomfortable. I don't like this. I'm not going to do it. And they don't do anything. And you're like, you know, this is scary. This is uncomfortable and I'm doing it. And I'm going to do my best to like bring women together. And you're going to heal yourself at lightning speed by doing the things that you're doing. Thank you. That's nice of you. Well, Mo's my partner in crime. Well, she's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, she is. So are the both of you. Uh, there's a lot of things to be scared of as a woman too. Like, yeah. So a uh, part of it is just like, it, I feel like it's a survival technique. And it's in our to, DNA. To, like our tribal DNA is like, I don't want to be out in the cold away from the tribe and like by myself and I'll die. Like it is, it's a yeah. deep, deep, like ancient, like survival thing. So I love how at some point you said, one of you said it's like generational healing. It's like ancestral healing. It's like ancestral. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty amazing. But I, I want to just point out really quickly too, that like, despite the fact of like the way we were raised or what society tells us or like our trauma, it still does not justify somebody being abusive to us. You know, it's like, they made an active choice to treat us and call us names or whatever it was, like whatever type of abuse, there's so many different ways it can manifest. So, so no matter how, you know, we are taught to be submissive or in competition or, you know, whatever, like it's still, it's still not our fault. Like we have anger from our own trauma. It's still not our fault. Like we don't go around abusing people because I personally don't believe in free will. I be- I don't think any of us have free will. I mean, I'm, Ooh, I know wait, that's I, it's expound. I want to hear, but no, I want to hear what you mean I'm by that. To. Oh, okay. You guys have never heard about free will. I mean, I have in the sense of like, okay. Like God gives us free will and we can do whatever we want and like, or something like I, I've not. Yeah. Like I'd love to hear what free, you mean by that. Yeah. There, there's two, there's two camps. There's the people who believe we have free will and we can make decisions. And I made a decision to come on this podcast and mm-hmm. I'm doing all of this, but then there's like the other camp of like ne- neuroscientists and biologists and science, you know, uh, people who are familiar with biology who say, there's no way you have control. Like, first of all, DNA decides, you know, your, your genes. Mm-hmm. Second of all, uh, the way you were raised up until five years old is ha- is basically going to determine the rest of your life. So if you were abused or neglected or malnourished or whatever, like, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a choice. Like, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your brain doesn't stop developing until around 25, 26 or something like that. And and you can't control the hormones that are being squirted out and you can't control your thought, your thoughts literally just show up out of nowhere. And you're like, mm. you know, I didn't actually think that thought. And then, 
you think you have control, but it's like all these other factors are, are controlling, bi- biologically controlling it. I'm not even talking about God or spiritual. I'm talking about your body. Hmm. It's so fascinating. So I was reading about it a lot. Actually, I was like, this is so fascinating to think that I have no control. And then what it does is it instills empathy immediately, compassion for others. Like, oh yeah, like they, they, they're literally doing the best they can. Like they cannot control it either. I've I've also it's read that we have, we have like <laughs> neuroplasticity. So like if you recognize it, you because we have neuroplasticity, like we can change it. But I, I just did a post on me and Michelle's Instagram about how like making change can feel like t- trying to turn the Titanic around because it's so hard to create new neuropathways. Sometimes you just can't. <laughs> or sometimes sometimes people just yeah. I, I, it's so oh my mind's just blown. When we get off this, I know. I'm gonna, I know. It's I'm gonna weird. read about and, and, it. <laughs> I'm not making excuses. I don't want it to be used as an excuse either. Like it was just a fascinating look at yeah, the brain and for the sure, body and your hormones and your blood sugar and like your your genetics and all these things put together. Like you literally have no control over your life. That's so interesting. And it's terrifying to think about. <laughs> Thanks, Priscilla. No. <laughs> physically abusive to me and they're only doing it private but they they can control it or they'd be doing it at work or in a grocery store or so there's a there is a component there but i hear i really struggle with the excuse me please be quiet (laughs) i really struggle with that yeah but hold on sorry sorry (laughs) the puppy is like way kissy it's a lot um (laughs) priscilla facilitates grief groups mm-hmm. and I uh, went to one of them and well not one of them the whole series and it was amazing I learned so much I just wanted to bring that up because you know that that has to be bringing up stuff too even though you're facilitating it because I have noticed things come up for me in my work but that's really cool that you're doing that that's mm. really cool thank you that I appreciate so that cool. no I and you can tell um, me grief is not five stages anymore. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, and I was like, you're like, no, that sounds like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right? What is it? Because then if you don't follow those five steps, you feel crazy. Like, oh, there's something wrong. I'm not grieving right. But I think the reason why I did it was because, A, I'm always grieving. Like, we're always grieving something, loss, mm-hmm. change, whatever. But also because I'm a certified death doula, I'm always around death and dying and sickness and sadness and people in the room not having a clue what grief is. And so I was like, I better do this for my career. Like I, it's the perfect marriage, uh, grief and, and death, you know? So, so that's why I did it. And then I, it did more for me than I ever expected it to change my life. Um, and then I just wanted everyone to do, I'm like, it's free. I'm giving free workshops for everybody because it's so good. Actually, that's really you know? amazing. And if and when you are processing an, a toxic relationship, being abused, having left a relationship, you have to grieve that. That's like a family and a marriage and a loss. And like even just taking it back oh, to your story, like which your story is so yeah. similar to so many of our stories. It starts out exciting and love and the love bombing and then it's amazing and you're put on this pedestal and then all of a sudden it, it slowly starts to like come down and then it crashes and it explodes and we have to grieve that and it's like the stages of grief are just for me like I mean for all of us they're not linear they don't fall like you guys are saying they don't follow this like precise five steps you're just like all over the place and you know so I'm just curious if that's an option for how do you run those are they on zoom is it something anybody can join or is it do they have to know you I haven't run one in a year okay Cause after the pandemic, I was like, I need to just take a break yeah. from all things grief and death. <laughs> and then I didn't realize that it was exactly what people needed. So yeah. um, I charged two, $250 for the eight week program. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so I can do it in groups or I can do it one-on-one, but the groups is way more powerful. Like yeah. I love so it. much better. Yeah. Um, but, but I can offer it. It's grief.recovery. So that's Instagram. That's my main place to go. 
So that way, if our listeners are interested, they can say, hey, and maybe that's, you know, an opportunity for you if it feels, if it moves you. Yeah. Do that again if you want. Or even just like letting people know too that like, you know, if Priscilla, if you're not running a group at the time, like people can do some research on grief and grieve your relationship and grieve because I think sometimes you know, we have to grieve the hope and the loss of what we wanted and what, what we, you know, I think a lot of people. You sound like my program. You sound yeah. exactly like me. That's <laughs> well, exactly what it is. A lot of us can get stuck and, and feel like, oh, but I put so much time and energy into this and I put so much effort into this and I love this person so much and we get stuck. I, I was like thinking about this earlier today. It's like, almost like you know when a car I was thinking about this because I was driving in the snow and you know when your car is stuck in the mud or the snow and your wheels are spinning and spinning and the more you spin your wheels the deeper that groove gets and the more stuck you get and it's like that's kind of I feel like that is hope in these shitty relationships you're like your wheels spinning because you just get more and more stuck you go what if I change what if I change more what if they change what if they end up changing what if I leave and they change what if I leave and they find somebody else what if what if what if what if and we get stuck in this and we have to grieve and I think when we allow ourselves to space to grieve, then we can like, I mean, there are people who go. don't even know how they don't know what it is. They're like, what, you know? Wow. And so the program gives you permission to grieve however you need to grieve, however you feel. So we first let them know, we dispel the myth that there's a way to grieve. Wow. Dispel it completely. I, and I, that there's stages and that it's just basically any change in your life. But what I was going to say is that it really, you're an inspiration and I, I really am grateful that you told us your story and shared some very, you know, personal things yeah. about your life. That's shit's triggering and it's hard. And so thank you. And I, I was really, you're just beautiful. Um, so are you. <laughs> oh, I know. It's a beautiful inside and out. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for but coming on to, our show. Well, I wanted to ask what, if you could, take away whatever from your experience and give it to the listeners what do you think that would be <sighs> sit on it for a second do you mean like people who are might be in a current in a current uh, situation like a bad situation Uh-oh. yeah i think <laughs> oops where'd she go yeah i think like people who just like if you could say anything to somebody who maybe is in a situation that you were in when you were 20 and maybe you were like, what's going on? I'm, you know, I'm scared of my husband. Something's off. What, you know, or partner doesn't have to be just husband. Like what advice would you, or like, what would be your biggest takeaway about your experience of leaving? Hmm. You're a lot stronger than you think. Um, you know, uh, trust your, you know, it's funny. People say, trust your gut, trust your intuition. Well, sometimes your gut and your intuition are really fucked up and you can't trust that. So if you find yourself making a lot of bad decisions or not great decisions, ask for help. I always thought that asking for help was a sign of weakness, but man, I wish I would have done it way more. And I'm still learning how to do it because there's some, so much shame there to ask for help. Mm. It, it's many times it can feel shameful to ask for help because I should be able to, I should be able to do it. Like I, you know, I'm an adult now. I should be able to. Yeah. I love um, that you but, said that too. Cause we say a lot on the show, like listen to your gut, listen to your intuition, but how you said like, one, one, work for me. <laughs> well, one of my best friends from one of my best friends, we've been friends since we were 13 and she told me, you cannot trust your gut, Laura. Let you, your friends right now. She's like, call me, call your other friends. Like we need to be your gut right now because your gut, you know, you, because I didn't know how to listen to my gut. So I love that you said that. I feel like it's a lesson to be, I feel like it's a, not a lesson, a skill to be learned to trust our guts though. I think that it's there. This is just my personal belief. Like I know it's there, but it's covered up with trauma and doubt and fear. And so once we're going through that healing process, then we start to be able to honor our own truth and our gut. So, but I think, I feel like it's going to be a lifelong process for me, but I'm a lot better at going with my gut now than I've ever been because it's practice, right? Same here. I'm still getting to know, like I barely barely i'm 44 and i'm barely now just like going okay um okay this is who i am this is really how i feel um 
But I was going to say something else. Um, what was the last thing you said, Mo? Oh, that we learn to trust our own truth um, when we're healing and um, it's late, you know, when we're not, it's because there is layers of trauma over uh -huh. where we would normally be able to say, okay, I can trust my gut. Cause some of it, oh, I, don't I know. Think we, okay. Before I forget. Okay. Somebody in 12 steps taught me this. Okay. Cause I've been in narcotics anonymous shopping anonymous uh, shopping addicts. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, food, um, overeaters anonymous, but the, the one that literally changed my life was codependence anonymous. Oh, literally like moved the Titanic for me. Somebody just told me about that recently. Oh, Coda. They're like, will, go anyway. join Coda. So, so this, the, so this is the thing that somebody told me, which was, and okay, this is the advice I would give to be, to be honest, when you're with someone, okay, you're hanging out with them, talking to them. And you feel bad about yourself and you, or you question yourself, um, pay attention to that more and, and honor it. Um, I felt that way for so long, just feeling like I had to get along with it. I had to make it work. I had to stick around. I had to, you know, turn that frown upside down. Like mm -hmm. all of you were like, just just you get over it, you know, but now it's like when I'm around a real narcissist, like, you know, when you're around a narcissist, like, well, the, the learning. when you're around somebody and you're like defensive, um, aggravate, like you feel dismissed or you just feel like, like the energy, like the actual palpable energy is not right. Pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how to access your intuition, which I don't, I was still learning how to do it, but I never did. That was the best advice. And man, the amount of people I've gotten rid of, it's almost embarrassing, but it's like, um, I don't know anything about this. I want to go now. <laughs> oh my, I recommend it to everyone, especially women. It's like 90% women. Lakota. I just found it's it. really in, sad. I just found it in my town online. <laughs> talking oh, like, you, oh yeah I'm during gonna... the whole pandemic i was at coda meetings like three times a week wow. because i needed them mm. um yeah codependency will fucking kill you like it will literally drive you yeah insane. i remember reading codependent no more by melody Beatty, and yes, it was just like I have that book right there yeah it was like i need to <laughs> what I, is it called so i can get it codependent no more by melody Beatty, and it was like a game changer for me oh wait no 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 i have this one Ugh, this one is the language of letting go oh, she's oh i think amazing. it's the same thing it's the same one is it the same that melody Beatty. yeah she's amazing it's she the same one yeah i'm writing this down thank you yeah her story is really amazing it's well i'm so i feel like we're we're we should probably start wrapping up um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I wanted to just thank you so much for coming onto the program and to Aww. sharing your story and your voice and I'm loving hearing about what you guys are doing at Lady Haha -Ha and just like and teaching us about codependency yeah just thank you <sighs> it takes so much courage to be on here and to have a voice and like again like I said and what we, Michelle and I say all the time but it's like people hear their stories in our stories so the more guests yeah, absolutely. that come on that have you know figured their way out of the matrix so to speak and are willing to share their story we are so thankful and so grateful for your time I well, really may i say it. thank you to you for making me feel safe first oh, of all good it's that's i wouldn't have done this if i didn't feel safe or unjudged yeah um and neither one of you are are that way and mo like what you guys do is so important. Like it's mm. so important and so beautiful. And I like, thank you from all of us. You know what I mean? Oh, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you so much. Well, yeah, it's, it's so important what you do. And I want to tell everyone about it. You thank know? you. It helps us so much. We're trying so hard. I think Michelle Absolutely. and I are both like on a mission to help people realize they can improve their lives and they don't have to be stuck in these situations. And I think the more we educate people too, and the more people hear your stories and our stories and other people's stories, they go, Oh my God, wait, this isn't normal. 
and and then they can get educated and go oh my god i'm not crazy and like that's the hope is like even if five people go oh my god i'm not crazy i'm not there's nothing wrong with me like and they like what an amazing gift so michelle um it is before we yeah i want i want to like I don't want it to be normal, you know? Yeah, exactly. So if we can make it normal, yeah. normal that, that's perfect. But yes, Well, you're um, doing it. You guys are literally changing. We're all doing it. We're in this you're changing the world. Oh. You are. Like, we, even when, when someone's like, what's your goal in life? Like, what's the, when you've made it? Well, how do you know? It's like, I'm doing it now with yeah. this podcast. I'm making a difference right now. It doesn't have to be grand. It could just be for one person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what changed my life. Thank you. That's what changed my life. My sister had sent me a podcast that said it was like the narcissist and the codependent. And I, yes, I sobbed. It was like, I'm not crazy. This, this was, and it was like that changed my life hearing. I mean, it opened up my, my world to like, and that I I just want to give that to others. So thank you so much. Um, I know Michelle is the same heart as I do and and Priscilla it's been such a pleasure to meet you. Um same here. What is the would you like to share the National Domestic Violence Hotline? Yes, of course. So the National Domestic Violence Hotline is a number you can call if you are struggling with uh, how to safely leave a abusive relationship, whether you just need to talk or need support and they can tell you where local resources are in your area. Um you can call them at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can text all in capital letters START to 88788. Thank you so much for, wow. for being here today. And uh, thank yeah. you. For thank you for the listeners. work you're doing for women in the community too. And thank you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. And as always, you are not crazy. And you are not you alone. Are not alone. Thank you.